0: Thank you. It's great to be here, and uh, I'm, I'm on my mind. That's great. And uh, normally, when I start uh, talking, I sort of will use a photograph to, or two to introduce myself. Obviously, my name is Richard, married to Kate. We've got three children. And I've got what is probably, if the PowerPoint is working, are we? Yeah, okay. So I just hit this one and, and I've probably got the ugliest dog in the world. <laughs> her name's Dell, and uh, she's a boxer, and uh, her one saving grace is that she can pick her nose with her tongue. But I've got a better photograph to show you, to introduce myself, and it's this one. This is taken by my son, Stephen, who's now really embarrassed, uh, for which this week it was announced that he won Young Landscape Photographer of the Year 2012, and it's called Man in the Fog, but it gets better, because you can see if we just... Actually, I thought, well, you know what, I can... Some people call this butchering, but I prefer to call it a sensitive sort of, uh, sort of cropping of this photograph to enhance it yet further. And here it is. <laughs> and you can see that this photograph is of me. So if this is a nationally acclaimed photograph, logically that must mean that I am a nationally acclaimed male model. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, we have never had anyone who looks vaguely like a nationally acclaimed main model on this stage before, and I agree. (laughs) But you have now. Fantastic, eh? So we're going to be continuing our series, uh, Letters for Life, looking at Paul's letters and the book of Acts and saying well what can we learn from these and I've called what we're going to be talking about today, All Things for All People. And I want to start with a story, a story about a lady called Molly, this is a true story. Uh, I got to know Molly, she, uh, she was coming to a pensioners club, we were running on Blackbird Leaves, classic pensioners club, come have afternoon tea, play bingo and uh, go to the seaside three times a year and have Christmas lunch together. That's basically sort of what they did and what they still do. And she was coming along to this group and uh, this group had been going for about three years and uh, we'd helped set it up and we're getting to know them. I would go along because they thought I was the vicar so I would go along and have a cup of tea with them, have a cup of tea with the vicar, this sort of stuff. And, and, uh, getting to know these people. And, but we thought, you know what, there's there's more. There are people here who do want to know about God, who do want to, you know, sort of touch him in their lives. Um, so we decided one week we would give them a bit of a sort of an appetite wedge and show them a, a one-off video, sort of testimony-based video, and just see who might want to know more about getting to know God for themselves. So we put this video on, we did did a great lunch, Kate did this great home-cooked lunch, we had about 25 of them there, so we all have lunch and we've got the the video set up with the screen and the sound system and stuff, and off it goes, and five minutes into this video, the guy who runs the club, bless him, he's a lovely fella, but he's clueless when it comes to any sort of uh, evangelism, he gets up in the middle of this video and he starts selling his bingo tickets. And he's got a big gob. So he's shouting at the top of his voice, anyone want a bingo ticket? And he's walking to and fro in front of the screen. So I'm sitting there thinking, this is a disaster. You know, Does he understand what I'm trying to do here? And then all of a sudden I see out of the corner of my eye, there are three ladies who every time he walks in front of the screen are craning their neck and wanting to sort of see what's on the screen. And they're leaning forward to try and hear over the commotion of the selling of the bingo tickets what's being said. One of these ladies was Molly. Afterwards, a friend came up to me and she said in a big loud voice so everyone could hear, some people can be so rude, can't they? (laughs) Meaning this guy who was selling the bingo tickets. Fortunately, he's a bit deaf and he didn't hear. So I said quietly, because quietly say to her, yeah, they can be a little bit rude, can't they? I said, but you know what? This isn't the place to to watch something like this. I was thinking of having it around my house and inviting people over for afternoon tea and we could watch these videos and talk about them. And she said, you know what, I've got, a, I've got a big house. Why do we do it there? I said, all right then, let's do it there. I said, Molly, my friend, makes a nice carrot cake. I'll get her to make a carrot cake. She'll want to come along. So Molly comes along with her carrot cake. And the next week, we get together and we watch the first one. And, and we have a chat about it afterwards, sort of like testimony-based stuff. It was all about Israel's spiritual side to life. This is what the first video was about. And, and I'm w- walking out the door. I've got a meeting to go to. I'm walking out the door. And as I'm walking out the door, one of the ladies, there's four of these ladies watching this DVD. One of them shouts after me. He said, Rich, we've just been talking about having a friendship with God. How can you have a friendship with God then? How does that work? So I think, okay, I'm going to be late for my meeting. And I walk back in. <laughs> and we have a chat for half an hour about that. And, uh, and then the second week, we watched the second one of these videos. And, and we're chatting afterwards. And Molly said this to me. She said, you know what, Rich? I've had these questions about God for as long as I can remember, certainly since the age of three. She's 65 when she's saying this to me, so 62 years. She said, but I've never had anyone to ask them until now. Sad, isn't it? 62 years, the questions about God. The fifth week, uh, we got talking about Jesus uh, in more detail, and they started to recount stories of when they went to Sunday school or all that sort of age where they went to Sunday school when they were kids, and they could remember stories about Jesus, so all we had to do was to talk about you know what Jesus came to show us what God is really like because that 's what he came to do to show us what god is really like and That week, Molly found a relationship with God for herself she was saved now, there are three really important components to helping Molly to find that relationship with God. Three really difficult things you need to be able to do. The first one is this. You need to be able to make a cup of tea. Can anyone anyone who can make a cup of tea, do you want to put your hand up? No, Steve's not putting his hand up. If you've had, ever had Steve's cup of tea, it's like dishwater. But we could do a course from him, could we? ten-week course, how to make a cup of tea. So put your hand up as well, Steve. Don't be feeling... Like, just keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. If you can make a cup of tea, I want to see those hands. Makes me feel like an evangelist. seeing all those hands. That's great. OK, now put your other hand up if you can do the second thing, which is a bit more complicated, which is to be able to operate a DVD player. Now, if you're like my dad... You can even use an instruction book. Okay, so just put your hands up. Okay, now now I want you to stand up if you've got both hands up and you can do this third complicated thing, which is to chat to somebody about your friendship with God when they ask you. Stand up if you can do that and make a cup of tea and run a DVD player. Okay then, for all of you who have stood up, let me tell you, you could and would have led Molly to the Lord as well. It really is not that difficult what we're talking about. Let's sit down, shall we? And let's have a look at what Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians. This is what he says about his approach to reaching people. And you see it all through the book of Acts, this is how he does it. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many people, as many as possible. To the Jews. I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those who have not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under the Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things... To all people, That's where we're getting the title from today. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Paul is free. He's free, yet he's, de- he's dedicated to the highest good of those who need to be rescued by God. So with the Jews, he voluntarily follows Jewish ways with those under the law there were 613 written precepts in the Pentateuch and they'd been amplified and expanded by the old tradition to those, Jew, to those people under the law he became like one under the law although he himself said that this law will only lead to death but he becomes like them to reach them to those outside the scope of the law he's going to become like them though it won't mean he compromises what is good and acceptable to God. And to the weak, he avoids the stumbling blocks that are going to get in the way of them being one. He is absolutely focused, absolutely dedicated. He wants to meet people on their own ground. Yeah, very good. He wants and he's willingly, will willingly submit to whatever the restrictions are so he can reach people. On their own ground. That's what he's about. He is deliberate about this. Because he's passionate about it. This stuff is not about him sort of giving us a list of of rules and requirements about what we want to do. This passage is about this guy's passion. His passion to see lost people won. That's what it's about. He's just communicating... His heart. What matters to him is whether people are being rescued or not. That's what matters to him. That's what burns in this guy's heart. Be- reaching lost people is so important to him. He's not a spin doctor when he says this stuff. He's not saying, I'm going I'm to spin the message, I'm going to change it. He doesn't change the message, but all the time he's saying, the messenger needs to change. The message is constant, but the messenger, you and me, we need to change in order to connect with people and reach them and his model for doing this is what he's seen in Jesus Christ this is nothing new this is not Paul coming up with something new he is seeing Jesus Christ who was the master theologian to the theologians and yet the master everyday storyteller to ordinary people that's what Jesus was and is He's the one who accommodated people to the ultimate degree by becoming a man so we could seek and save the lost. That's the heart of the gospel. That's what this guy is talking about when he writes this passage. Jesus was and is committed to loving and serving people. To shape his words so they'll connect with people in the innermost being And reach lost people. That's what he was about. And that's what Paul has caught from him. So what can we learn from our own lives when we read a passage like this. And we look at what Paul, how he went about acting this out in the book of Acts. The first thing I'd say is this. It's about heart. You catch something of the guy's heart in this passage. It's a heart that is gripped. It's gripped, first of all, with gratitude. He knows he's the worst of sinners. He says it. He knows he was a violent man who was persecuting the church and he describes himself as a blasphemer. He knows all this. And yet Jesus has reached him and rescued him. And he knows that in the bottom of his soul. I've been rescued. He knows he's been rescued. And, he, and that, that knowledge never leaves him. It never kind of leaves the forefront of his mind. He knows what he was, and he knows he's been rescued. And so he's been gripped by this heaven-sent burden to reach people like he was, people who were lost, people like what you and I were, we were lost. And he's gripped because of this, by love and mercy and compassion, that's flowed down from heaven. That's what this passage is about. It's not self-generated. He's got this from God. it has been God-given. He's, been, he's touched heaven's mercy and love and compassion. And it's that that drives him. He is not driven by some sense of obligation to reach lost people. He's driven by heaven's heart to reach lost people. And that's the first thing that we need to note. It's heaven's heart, this. This is all, what it's all about. It's heaven's heart. So when he's talking to people, you see him treating lost people with grace and respect. In the city Antioch, he calls people his brothers. And when the crowd come and start worshipping him and Barnabas in, in Lystra, he doesn't tell them they're a bunch of plonkers. He gently gets them to stop doing it. But he doesn't tell them they're stupid. He's treating them with respect. He's caught something of what it means when Jesus said, I'm a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad Jesus is a friend of sinners? Yeah. It means he's a friend of me. It means he's a friend of you. It's a big deal. He's a friend of sinners. And this passion is burning in his heart. So all the time he's trying to build carefully on what people already know. All the time he's trying to make this connection because that's from the passion of his heart. He's thinking, how can I make this connection with these people? What do they understand about God and about humanity? Where are the connection points that I can start to, to build on and touch? You see, we all live in a world, even if people don't want to admit it, we live in a world that is made by God and where people... Are made in his image so no matter what the person is no matter what they believe or think you will find there are connection points about God and about humanity things we can connect to and connect with people through so what does it mean for us well I think first of all it means let's never forget our own salvation let's look To really share life with lost people. And as we do, let's get to know their stories. And as we get to know their stories, let's let's let heaven's compassion begin to touch your hearts. We'll find that God sees people, lost people, more as sad than as bad. He sees them as sad, not bad. And we'll start to find these contact points Whenever I think about contact points, I'm not going to tell all the story because I've told it here before. I think of a family in Blackberry, Leeds called the Spices, and uh, their uh, youngest son, Jake, died um, a couple of well, nearly three years ago, two and a half years ago now, uh, when uh, he was 15 years old. We first got to know that family when they were 10, and Jake had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. None of them were Christians; they didn't believe in God. And they said, if God did exist, why would this be happening to Jake? But they were a family that were united in pain and desperate to find hope. See, I don't think as people we're designed to live without hope. We've been designed by God to live with hope. So when you're hopeless, uh, life isn't right. And they were looking to find hope. And that was the contact point. So over a period of four years, we had the privilege of sort of walking on a journey with them, of discovering where they could find real hope. Hope with guts. You don't find hope with guts in the face of death through nice religious platitudes or sentimentality. You don't find it there. You don't find it either in the wishy-washy, everyone will make it with God in the end stuff. You find it in Jesus Christ and the truth of his death and his resurrection. That's where you find hope with guts. And that's where they found it. If we start with the heart, if we start with our hearts, then so much of the rest that Paul is talking about just follows naturally. Secondly... Hearing, all begins with H. I thought I'd have three things beginning with H. So first of all, the heart. Second one, hearing. He listens. He is slow to speak. He is quick to listen. He is seeking to understand what makes people tick. Why they think the way they think. How he can connect with people. That's what Paul is about. That's what he's saying in this passage we need to do the same slow to talk quick to listen if we want to just give the answer quickly then I suggest we just put a sock in it because it doesn't work it's not what people are after they want us to listen They want people want us to be really genuinely interested in their lives and be really genuinely friends so when Paul is speaking and you see it in the book of Acts he, he's clear about what he, that, he, that he, he understands what people believe and why they believe it. So when, he, when, he, he, when he's in a synagogue, he quotes the Old Testament. When he's in Athens, he quotes two Greek thinkers. He doesn't mention the Old Testament at all. He's connecting with way, the way people think. We need to be listening. We need to be slow to race ahead to all the answers and we need to be asking questions of people and understanding what makes them think and you know this is again about the heart you know when I talk about I tell you these stories these people are friends they were never targets to get saved they became friends we share life and we still share life with these people Because they're friends, I want to make that connection with them so that they understand. I want to speak in their language. I want them to understand uh, the the details and, and to sort of help sort of blow the fog away from them. And you do it by being real friends. So when Paul is in the synagogue, he uses phrases and words from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. When he's in Athens, he describes God in the way that they describe God. He's all the time trying to make connections. Nelson Mandela put it like this. If you, want to, if you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his own language, that goes to his heart. Paul in this passage in 1 Corinthians He's talking about talking to people in a language that goes to their hearts, that they can really understand. And as you become friends with people, you understand them. You can start to know sort of instinctively what you can say to help them understand. I think of, um, there'll be a couple of guys in the church in in the Leeds. The church in the Leeds is, is meeting at the moment. There'll be a couple of guys there Called Kieran and Lloyd. Kieran and Lloyd are both 17 years old, and they had every reason in their past to wrongly blame God for stuff that had happened. I thought that poem this morning was incredibly powerful, didn't you? Fantastic, mate. You know what? You had every reason, just like these guys, to wrongly blame God, but he hasn't. He's been rescued. And these guys, Kieran, his dad left his mum when he was six months old and has never been in contact since, doesn't want to know him. And for Lloyd, his mum died in a car crash when he was three. They had every reason to blame God for the stuff that had happened, wrongly blame God. But they start to come along to some of the youth groups that some of the guys in the Lees run. And over a number of years, it's a number of years this, they, they got more and more involved and became volunteers in these youth clubs and they started to get to know one of the youth leaders and they knew because they'd asked him that he was a Christian they knew he went to church so they, wanted to, they started to ask more questions and they started to build up a relationship with him first key for these guys so more post one guys first key, build a relationship and they started to build a relationship with him the second thing once they started to build a relationship with this guy and they were seeing stuff in his life that they liked they were getting a taste of Jesus if you like through his life, that was what was going on the second key was they wanted to explore things on their own terms they wanted to think about their own spiritual needs think about their own deepest concerns so we started a group called Crossfire the youth club which went, went alongside all the different football clubs and dance clubs and stuff we were doing. But we were, we were clear about it. We said, look, Crossfire is full-on about God. You can come here and find out about God if you want to. And these two lads started to come along. The third key for them was that they didn't just want the theory. They wanted to experience God for themselves. And they qualified the summer before last to come to transform uh, the... Kids in the youth group on black beliefs have to qualify. They have to be serious enough to want to sort of find out about God to qualify for transform. Because we've had too many years where we've been run ragged, sort of racing around the camp at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning trying to find them. So we've learned from our experience. So now they have to qualify. So these guys qualified for transform. They go to the youth tent on the first night and they experience God. Big time. In fact, what happens is the Holy Spirit, they're not saved yet, the Holy Spirit comes on them so powerfully, they are literally drunk in the Spirit, so they can't walk. They get carried back to the camp. <laughs> and at half eleven, one of them phones his mum on his mobile phone. We just didn't see the mobile phone, we'd have taken it off him. Had we seen the mobile phone? And he, and he says, hello mum, I'm drunk, on his mobile phone. And at which point there's me and the youth leader both diving at this guy to get that mobile phone off him and thinking, how are we going to blag this one then with his mother? (laughs) He's come on this Christian camp and he's drunk at half eleven at night. They'd experienced God. The next night, they experienced him again and they were saved. The end of the camp, they were Four young people in total had come and qualified. And the four of them had become Christians through the camp because they'd experienced God. So at the end of the camp, we decided we would celebrate by breaking bread. We'd have this communal meal. This is the, the Leeds Church. we put all these chairs out, and we'd get together all the food we had left. And for some reason, we had a lot of Jaffa cakes left. Now, I'd have thought they were the first things we've gone, but we had a lot of Jaffa cakes left and a lot of crisps. So the meal really consisted of Jaffa cakes and crisps. But we did find some pita bread and some Ribena with which we could break bread with. So that's what we did. So we had Jeff cakes and Chris, then we broke bread with pita bread and Ribena. And I said to Lloyd, who's a lad who lost his mum when he was three, I said, uh, You up for praying, mate? And he says, All right. And he says, What do I need to pray? I said, Well, we're going to break bread. We're just remembering that Jesus died for us. He says, All right, and I'll pray. So he gets the pita bread. And in front of all these people, he prays. And he prays very, very simply, he says, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. This has been the best week of my life. Amen. This is what it's about, isn't it? Third point. Got to begin with H, hasn't it? This is God at work. To begin with H is actually all about the Holy Spirit. God is at work in people's lives. We do not see Even the sort of the the drop in the ocean of what he's doing in people's lives. God is at work. He's there to rescue. He's there before we get there. However passionate we are to see lost people saved, he is more passionate. That's what he's about. That's why Jesus came. Jesus He's brilliant at saving people. He's stunningly good at it. Think of Paul, right? This guy who was you know, persecuting the church. Whoever would have thought that this guy could get saved and write half the New Testament? Because that's what happened, isn't it? And we, we're used to the story. So we just think, oh yeah, he gets saved. You know, Damascus Road, bright light, he gets saved. But it's incredible, isn't it? That Jesus breaks in to that guy's life. He can make a way when we can't even see a glimmer. He is brilliant at it. And he gets there before us. How many of us are using this little booklet? Breathe. Anyone, Anyone people using this? Are there some copies around? There should be some copies around. This is great. So this is sort of a rhythm of prayer, getting you praying at different times of the day. So I've got my phone, goes off, reminds me at 12 noon to just pause for a minute, pray the Lord's Prayer, just to focus back on God. But I've got another alarm. It actually goes off for me at 9.15, because the way the diary works, is often a time when I can just pause for a minute and pray And I'm praying for two people, two people who are very close to me, who are lost right now. And I'm praying for them. And all I'm praying is for God to make a way. God to make a way for them. For Jesus to reach them. Charles Spurgeon said about prayer, he said this about prayer. Prayers are instantly noticed in heaven. I like that. Prayers are instantly noticed in heaven. You hear the effects of prayer when people come across your path and you start to talk to them about God. You hear what God has been doing, some of what God has been doing in their lives. He's always there before us working. We're not doing this alone. Maybe there's an openness and a longing like there was in Molly. Let me just finish by telling you another story. Uh, We were at a church, Kate and I, a, a few weeks ago and We'd, we'd spoken and it was after the meeting and uh, the people who were leading the meeting came and said, will you pray with this lady? She was uh, a young lady, about sort of late 20s. Um, and we didn't really know very much about her so we went over and they said, will you just pray and ask God to bless her? So we go over just expecting to pray that, God's blessing on her. And uh, she starts to talk to us and she tells us that when she was a teenager, she got involved ...with a medium, the occult, right? Dodgy stuff, don't do it. But she'd done it. Uh, and she'd been supposedly healed by this medium. It's counterfeit. It was just a trapper. But over a period of time... ...a Christian friend of hers had got to know her... ...and had started to pray for her. And over a period of time... ...it's like God has slowly started to reveal to her... ...some of the truth... About what was really going on. And she said this, she uh, said, I'm sure he meant well, but I think he was mistaken. She said, It feels like I'm trapped now. I'm scared that if I go away, because this guy had said to her, You've been healed by a medium because you are a medium. You need to become a medium. That's what he'd said to her. And she said, It feels like if I don't become a medium, Then this healing will be lifted off me and I'll get ill again. And I feel trapped. But then she starts to talk about the fact that she sees this guy was mistaken and that she's on a journey. And as she's talking, I just get a faint impression of this painting in my mind, which is a famous painting. It's painted by Holman Hunt. There's a copy of it uh, hanging in Keeble College. Anyone from Keeble? Anyone from Keeble? Keble Keeble College Chapel. It hangs one of, the, one of the copies. So it's Jesus knocking at the door. A little bit religious, a little bit Victorian, but uh, this this picture comes to mind. And I said, uh, so where do you feel you're at on your journey? And she said this. I feel like I'm at a doorway. I think, excellent. <laughs> so that's really interesting. I, I didn't say about this painting. I said... I felt exactly the same. Did you? I said, yeah, I did. I said, uh, and, and what, what do you want to do? She said, I'd like to go through the door. So we were able to lead to the Lord. God had got there before, as you see. He'd done it all. All we had to do was to ask that one extra question. Let's finish with his painting. You see, the truth is that God draws close into many, people, to many people's lives. That's what he's about. Because he loves them. And he wants to rescue them. And we only see a little bit of what he's doing. And I bet you there are people, friends of ours, where Jesus is knocking on their door, just like he's doing in his painting. He's knocking on their door. I just thought we'd fin- we could finish by praying for those friends of ours. Is that okay? Because yeah. he's knocking on their door. But Jesus, we want to thank you that however much we want to see you rescue people, you want it a whole lot more. And Lord, we want to acknowledge and thank you that you are an incredible, a brilliant saviour. Yeah. What you can do is you know, be way beyond anything that we can imagine. And thank you Lord, thank you so much that you've saved us thank you Lord thank you that you grabbed hold of us and rescued us and we want to pray Lord for our friends where you're drawing close and you're knocking on their door we want to pray Lord that you would make a way for them to be rescued by you that you would reveal yourself to them that you would show them, give them a taste of your incredible love of who you really are of how you can transform their lives. And we want to pray for ourselves as well, Lord. We want to pray, Lord, that you would help us to catch more of heaven's heart towards lost people, more of what grips your heart, and help us to connect with them, understand them, work hard at that, and connect with them. Amen. Just as I finish, just one last thing. Maybe this painting is just what's been happening to you recently. You know that God has drawn close and he's knocking on your door. Can I encourage you, don't miss it. There are times in your life when he draws close. If this is one of those times, don't miss it. Talk to somebody before you leave here today and ask them to help you on their journey. And if you want to, talk to someone who's an incredibly... (laughs) good-looking, award-winning male model, then feel free to come and talk to me. Thanks.